This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. I'm joined by a 1997 graduate of the Naval Academy. Captain Tasha Lacey has commanded the Navy Operational Support Center, Baltimore. Currently, she is the legislative director for the Office of the Chief of the Navy Reserve. Captain Lacey, welcome to Radio Stockdale. Michael, thank you for having me. I'm so excited for the opportunity to be here and to share with you today. This is going to be a little bit different from all the podcasts we have before, but I like this one because it's, if I can say, a little bit non-standard. You've had a very interesting career since you graduated from the Naval Academy. I wonder if you can take us through some of those assignments all the way to what you're doing now. Oh, wow. So maybe I won't give you all the details, but of, of highlight and note, I would start upon my commissioning from the Naval Academy. I was non-physically qualified, and so I went directly into the intelligence community, and I loved my experiences as an intelligence officer. I started off at a joint command. It was Atlantic Intelligence Command, which became Joint Forces Intelligence Command. And from there, I went to be an air intelligence officer for P- Patrol Squadron 16 in Jacksonville, And then on active duty still at that time, I would go to Commander Patrol and Reconnaissance Wing 11 as the N2, which was the intelligence officer back then. And at that point, I actually had a bit of a transition in my career because I was a new mom. And Herb, again, being dual military, my husband Herb is a classmate of mine, and and we got married and we had a son and he was a little less than one and we weren't going to be able to be co-located And he had just finished a deployment. And so I thought the best decision for me and our family at that time was to go into the Navy Reserve to continue on as an intelligence officer in the what we call selected reserve component or the drilling reserve. And so that way, when Herb moved to Corpus Christi to become a flight instructor, I would be able to relocate with him and our son. And so I had that period of time for about two and a half years where I was a drilling reservist. And then I just couldn't help but to miss being back on active duty. And so I reapplied as what we we call a full-time support officer, soon to be called again, training and administration of reserve, TAR, for many folks who are familiar with what it used to be. We're going back to that title. And so I applied and came back as an Intel FTS officer. And then, of course, not long into my tenure, the Intel FTS community went away. And so I segued into the human resources officer community. And so now I am what's called an HR FTS or soon to be HR TAR. And I specialize in reserve management. So a series of tours ranging from operational and supportive intelligence, aviation intelligence specifically, then segue into I worked at Fleet Forces for my first duty station back on active duty. And then I've been stationed throughout different areas and increasing levels of responsibility in in the human resources field. And I also had the privilege of being able to do a Navy legislative fellowship in, in the United States Senate. And that was also a career highlight for me. So that that's a quick summary as best I could. Um, hopefully I didn't miss too much. I think you got a lot in there. Let me ask you to break it down a little bit more. You've navigated a dual military career with your husband. 
and your family and your kids. Tell me how that works. Tell me how you do that. So one of the key things that I would tell you as far as navigating a dual military career, believe it or not, some of the best advice that we received, we got at the Naval Academy from one of the battalion officers at that time. And and that was Captain Ron Brinkley. And he always talked to us about the importance of how he prioritized his family in his career, of course, his faith, but then his family. And so when Herb and I eventually got married, we never forgot that. And so as we made our career decisions, we chose to prioritize each other. When we eventually would go on to have kids, we also made the decision to prioritize our family because we saw a real example of someone whom we admired and respected. It aligned with our values and we just trusted God that that same model would work for us. But then additionally, what I would tell you is that some of the key takeaways I would give you about a dual military career is the importance of communication. So for me, yes, I think it definitely helped that I was a Naval Academy graduate and I understood what I was getting into as a military spouse. I I absolutely understood that. And I knew Herb's dream was to be a Naval aviator, which he would become. But also Herb was really good along the way about helping me to understand his career path and what the milestones were and what that actually meant. So we had a lot of conversations about it. So I felt that I could speak intelligently and also come from a place of understanding how I could best support him. So for me on a personal level, I developed what I call a no resentment policy. I started that from the beginning of our marriage where I would not tell Herb what assignments he could or couldn't take because I always believed in his ability to lead at the highest levels of the Navy. I I believed that from the time that I met him and I felt that part of my responsibility was to be a good teammate to help him to get there. So I never told him, no, you can't take that job or or anything like that. I understood what he needed to do for success. And I was willing to completely support that and hold it down on the home front when, you know, when he had to deploy or whatever requirements he had to fulfill, because I never wanted him to resent me if he made a decision that was all about me. So Captain, you've made some very good points about about the things you did for the relationship in the Navy. Tell me how your partner, how Captain Lacey, your husband, uh, what's his part in this? So one of, I mean, Herb has a lot of amazing qualities. Let me just put that out there. But one of the key things that I think was very helpful for me, he is my confidant, my mentor, and my number one supporter. So he always gave me a point of view from his eyes as an as someone who was in an unrestricted line community you know i i being a restricted line officer different the the career path for me looked very different um, than it did for him and so i would consult with him often and get his feedback on ways to kind of help navigate my own career he helps me, he helps push me to do the things that I don't always feel like I can do or should do. He's like, nope, you need to do that. And then he he kind of holds me to task to get me there. And from a family point of view, one thing I would also say is when I was in command, 
I absolutely was not able to be as available for my family in the same way that I had been during, you know, maybe Herb's operational assignments or, or even, you know, when he was in command. He took on the main objective of focusing on our family so that I could put as much of my energy as possible on being in command. So at that time, I was assigned to Baltimore. He was assigned to Pax River, even though we live here in Bowie. And so he was making commutes of more than 66 miles one way to go to work every day and still trying to juggle all the demands and responsibilities of making sure that our children were cared for. And at the time, we had three or four kids at home, and he was trying to take on all that responsibility of getting people to practices and do those things while also commuting quite a distance so that he could fulfill his responsibilities at Pax River. And that wasn't an accommodation. That was a joint understanding, a partnership that you guys were able to build together, right? Absolutely. Everything in our relationship, and I'm glad you used the word partnership because that's the best way that I would describe it. That truly is how you make a dual military career work. I speak from that experience because that's just my personal experience. I don't I don't necessarily know what it's like to do something other than be in the military. And I would say the partnership part of it is key. And that's why the communications were so essential because it allowed us to support one another equally. If he didn't, if he doesn't understand what I have to do or need to do, then he can't support me well and vice versa. I want to get to this term war fighting in a second, but let me ask you a question before that. And that is, how has your experience shaped you as a leader in the Navy? Upon being commissioned from the academy, I I started out as an intelligence officer. Then I made this transition into the reserve component in a drilling reserve status. Then I came back on active duty as a basically a full-time reservist where I that's what I do all reserve management. I on active duty similarly. And then, oh by the way, not only did I have these component changes going from active to reserve, but I also changed what we in the Navy call designators or I'll just say career paths for others. So I also had that shift as well. And then in the same vein, as I'm trying to navigate all of these transitions in my own Navy career, still being a Navy wife, still being a mom. And so there was just always a lot going on. So the takeaway for me was as a Naval officer, first of all, I understood the importance of being prepared to pivot Not everything in life goes the way you expect. And when life happens, you need to be prepared to pivot to meet whatever it is that you're facing at that time. And I also had to accept that there isn't just a cookie cutter way to get to the rank of captain. I I actually never aspired to be a Navy captain. I, I think some of that was just early on in my career. I I honestly didn't know that I had the ability to make it that far up in the ranks. I just, I guess, self-doubt, if you will. But I think the other part of it was very early in my career. I didn't have a lot of mentorship, if you will. So I couldn't see myself in the Navy down the road. I could only kind of see what was in front of me at the time. And so having had all those transitions, 
it helped me to be much more open-minded about what it takes to start in the Navy and then kind of go through a whole career path that doesn't look like everyone else's and and still achieve success along the way. So it open-minded is one of the things that I would say that I took away. I learned how to be more approachable. And I also learned to keep all of my options open. As a mid coming out of the academy, I didn't even know that I had options. So I would say that the career that I've had has exposed me to those options. And I try as much as humanly possible to share with those whom I mentor. So that way, everybody fully understands what they're able to do. And they can kind of look ahead. I think when you're young, you can only see what's right in front of you. You don't, you're not always thinking about what's ahead. Sometimes it's because you don't know. So I try to make sure that I share with people what my experiences has been so that they can maybe formulate what their look ahead might be. Captain, last question for you. So, you know, my military experience was all focused at what I thought was the pointy end of the stick, the tip of the spear. So there's a lot of different types of war fighting. And not until I actually got a little bit more senior or mature in myself uh, and my career, I realized there's a lot of stuff going on behind that tip that makes that tip that much sharper and that much more powerful. I'll leave that analogy right now, but I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is give me your sense of your contribution to war fighting, not only as a captain in the United States Navy, but as a military spouse and as a mom and as a citizen. Where does war fighting fit in for you? So I appreciate the question. And what I would say is, first of all, war fighting, it comes down to the war fighter. A warfighter is a human being, a person, and there are things that each person needs in order to be able to leave home, deploy, and perform well in an operational environment. So if you're going to be, if if you're the warfighter, you need to know that everything on the home front is okay. Is your spouse going to be okay or your life partner If you have children, are your children cared for? Are they well adjusted? Are they settled in school? All of those things. Who's going to take care of your responsibilities at home so that your head can be clear so that you can deploy and do your job when you're not at home? I think that that's where it it really all comes together. So in the roles that I've played throughout my life as someone who has deployed, I needed to know that everything at home was good. And thankfully, I'm married to a supportive spouse who made sure and gave me those assurances. And in turn, I've done the same. But it it takes a lot of coordination to make sure that those things are good to go. And then I think when it comes to being the warfighter actual, in addition to knowing that everything is good for you on the home front, you also need to be technically and tactically proficient whether you're in a community like myself where you are, I was being a restricted line officer, I needed to know how to do my job and I needed to know how to do it well. That says that's the same for every single warfighter. Know your job and learn to do it well. I I think that those are key. And the other thing about being a warfighter is the importance of self-care, 
a lot of times we're so focused on, we're very mission oriented. What does it take in order to get the job done? Or we're looking out for our family members and taking care of everyone but ourselves. And we always refer to the, we think about the airplane when we're advised, when we're passengers on a flight, how you need to put your own oxygen mask on before putting on a mask to help someone else. We, at different points throughout this marathon of a military career, you're definitely going to need oxygen yourself before you're able to administer oxygen to someone else. And so I think that's important. Now, from a professional standpoint of someone who's worked a little bit more from a support element role in the military, I think that my contributions have been and what others who are in a similar position should consider is don't ever underestimate those tough staff jobs where policies are made. And a lot of times the decisions that influence outcomes of how we take care of our sailors or Marines or the other policies that we have out there, those tough jobs that you take, whether it's at the Pentagon or which is considered to be an echelon level one command if you're working at what we call OPNAV, the CNO staff, or whatever that looks like for you if you're working at, a like I worked at Fleet Forces, an S2 command at one of my assignments. The insights that you gain from working at various levels of command that are sometimes maybe people don't consider the pointy end of the spear it's just important. Like you wouldn't go and build a house with just one tool. You need a number of tools in order to build a house and having various assignments of different different um, levels of difficulty help you to have more tools in your own toolbox from a personal and pro- professional perspective. So what I found is while I absolutely enjoyed being in operational commands, I, I loved being an intel officer in a squadron. I enjoyed that experience. But once I got the chance to get where the heart of the decisions are made at the top levels of leadership in the Navy, and I got to be in those rooms, hear those conversations, I would say that I became a much more well-rounded officer than I was in the beginning. Because in the beginning, I was just worried about how do I do my job? Well, while I evolved, of course, I still focused on how to do my job and to do it well, but I also had a broader context of why what I did was important, and that made me more motivated to do my job. Captain Lacey, it sounds like you have been in the room where it happened. Thank you for joining us on Radio Stockdale. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.